Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap. Uh, last episode of the offseason, the Revs wrapped up their preseason schedule yesterday and will be playing competitive soccer in less than a week. Uh, but before the Revolution take the field against FC Dallas, uh, we wanted to give our final thoughts on the preseason that was and what we expect for the upcoming 2019 season. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone, and since it is our season preview episode, we brought in some reinforcements. Uh, returning to the podcast, it's Seth McComa from the Bent Musket. Uh, Seth, how are you doing today? Great. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, usually I'm the replacement for Sean, but luckily today I get to actually speak with Sean and have a discussion with you as well, Greg. So thanks for having me here. Yeah, we're, we're going all out the, today. I mean, it's the season preview. It's really exciting. I think we're all really excited to talk about the revolution. Uh, and, and as Seth alluded to, we have Sean Donahue as usual here today. Sean, uh, I also want to say it's a bit of a hero's effort for you to be here today. I know you're not doing well. Have you recovered from Tottenham losing to Burnley yesterday? You know, it hurts even more after Liverpool dropped points today. So uh, I have not recovered yet, but the uh, I, I did get some enjoyment out of the League Cup final and the craziness that happened there with the uh, with the goalkeeper refusing to be subbed out and then losing in the shootout uh, for Chelsea. So you know, it, it was a rough weekend, but also kind of kind of fun seeing that today. Well, I'm I'm glad you're making it through, and glad you're here with us today, Sean. So didn't didn't know if you were going to make it. You seemed pretty down yesterday. So, um, well, let's hop over to the MLS and the Revolution. Uh, where the Revolution, uh, you know, put a bow on the preseason yesterday with a uh, two to one win over. I'm going to badly mispronounce this. Kr Reykjavik. Uh, I'm not so sure, but um, it's been a very up and down preseason for the Revolution. Uh, they had mixed results on their Spain trip where they went one, two and one against international competition. Uh, and then they returned back to the United States and they lost three, three to one to Louisville, one nothing to Minnesota. And then probably most embarrassing, a six two loss to Orlando City, where uh, they were really down six nothing at one point to Orlando. It was a very, very uh, <laughs> rough game. Uh, luckily, we could not see the uh, live stream, but just getting the results seemed pretty depressing. Uh, they did finish strong with a 4-1 to win over expansion USL side Greenville, and then, as I mentioned, the 2-1 win uh, over the Iceland side yesterday. Um, guys, how much stock should we put into these results, and should we be concerned? Uh, Seth, what are your thoughts on uh, this preseason? So, it's preseason, and we see every single year that preseasons either uh, make us excited, or they make us um, sad, or they make us concerned. Um, for me, you don't look too much into the results. You look more into patterns, like certain patterns that potentially happen. Um, and for me, success in the preseason usually doesn't translate to success in the regular season, but struggles can translate to the regular season a little bit more. And that's what concerns me. Um, you know, when I look at the defense, this defense did not look particularly strong throughout preseason. Again, we only saw really uh, one that was streamed for everyone. And that was another game you were actually able to, to go and I was able to to use a, a VPN from somewhere else to watch the other game. So we didn't get to see a lot of these games. Uh, but watching the highlights, you know, this defense was was conceding a lot of goals that they conceded in 2018. So that's what's really concerning to me. Um, the attack, you know, you have someone like uh, Juan Corsedo who has not scored a goal, and he's a big name that came in with a big contract. That's concerning to me. Um, now, is it like gloom and doom? Is it time to say I don't even play the season? No, absolutely not. But I think when you look at some of those trends, that's where the concern comes a little bit. Um, but certainly, they can have a successful season. There's definitely some good players on this this roster um, that can do well during the, the regular season. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of what Seth said. My concerns in, in some ways were uh, related to the tactics that we saw being used by Brad Friedel, particularly in the Orlando game. I was a bit shocked when I saw the, the lineup come out there and they had Luis Casado behind, you know, five guys that are primarily attacking players. Um, you know, as much as as much hustle and effort as Fagundes and Pania and guys like that will put in on defense, uh, their strong suit is getting forward. And when you're playing against an MLS opposition, to see the re- revolution that late in preseason, kind of trotting out a very offensive lineup and and one that you know really doesn't fit tactically with what you see from any successful team um, was a bit shocking to me. You know, Caicedo is, is a great player for the Revolution. He covers a lot of ground, um, but I know as as I've discussed with Seth before on on Twitter. Um, he's certainly a guy that you know could use help from a guy next to him, whether it's either Scott Scott Caldwell or Zahibo. Um, I don't think any player is really capable of covering the kind of ground that's necessary to to do so in the system that Brad Friedel wants to play um, by himself. Uh, so that was a bit shocking to me, and I think you can read a bit into to tactics that that Friedel's trying out. And, and of course, against uh, Rekovic, he he played more of a standard you know four two three one, um, which is what I expect to see during the regular season. But I was a bit surprised that late in preseason in their you know one game against MLS opposition, which is probably their you know their best best test or, or their best um, insight into how they're going to play against how they're going to line up against MLS teams this year that we saw him go out with that and it's important to point out too that Orlando City wasn't even playing their starters for most of this game it was more of a you know kind of a, a B plus team from them with a few starters mixed in with mostly bench guys um, so to see the revolution down six nothing you know eventually scoring a couple late goals to make it six two um, against Orlando was worrying but you know, like like Seth said, you can't read too much in the results. Um, they played better against Rekovic, uh, but you know, as as he said, to, to look at the defensive efforts and the goals that they give up, even in the games where you could just see the highlights, it was a lot of what we saw last year that you know you knew they needed to fix. Um, so they still haven't fixed their defensive problems. Um, even in this game, the, the last game against Rekovic, they were lucky a few times not to get beaten on the far post, and then finally did on that that effort that you know Turner flail at to to get to. Uh, so it's it's more reading into the the negatives and and tactical. Changes and defensively um, were kind of my takeaways from from this preseason. Yeah, and just to echo what you guys said, I, I'm not one that you know puts a lot of effort or puts a lot of emphasis on preseason results, but I, I think that Orlando City game is a massive red flag just because if you watch the video of all the goals that that happened in that game, uh, I mean it's a lot of flashbacks to last year of you know getting beaten on the counterattack of of just wide open guys left and right uh, and as you said it, this is an Orlando City B team they were not playing their starters and in that game that was maybe not the formation and the lineup that the revolution are going to go out with in the season opener but they had a lot of uh you know starting lineup talent I'll say uh, uh, that they sent out there. So for them to concede six goals um, against really one of the two MLS teams they played in preseason um, is a pretty big concern. So uh, yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys said. I, I don't think it's a um, total uh, representation of what we're going to see this off season, but I think it's certainly okay to be a little weary of uh, that. They still have this might, they might have the same defensive issues that they had last year. Um, moving on to kind of some individual players though, um, has the preseason kind of wrote, has anyone's stock risen or fallen to you guys in your opinion at all? And just to throw out some stats, Christian Pena probably had the best preseason. He had three goals and two assists over this time. Fagundes, two goals, one assist. Teal Bunbury had two goals, both in, against Orlando. Uh, Brian Wright scored twice. Justin Rennox had a very solid preseason with one goal and three assists. Uh, Carles Gil. Uh, Hill, sorry, I uh, learned how to pronounce his name correctly last week. Uh, one goal, one assist, and then Juan Agadello, Luis Caicedo, and then the mystery trialist who no one knows who that is, even though we've all figured it out. Uh, one goal apiece, uh, and then 
Another six players with one assist apiece between Anking, Buchanan, Caldwell, Haribo, uh, Dewan Jones, and Wilfred Zahibo. Um, guys, anyone stand out this preseason and might have earned some minutes uh, going into the year? So I'll start, and there were you know one guy that I that I thought well actually by by Turner's kind of poor play, I think the stock has risen of, of both Cody Cropper and, and Brad Knighton, and I wouldn't be surprised to see either of them starting an open day. There was certainly the the Orlando game in which he conceded those those six goals, and some of them certainly did fall partially on him. Um, but then to follow it up against Rekovic, where he came on at halftime. Uh, and you know the the goal that they conceded was was really on him, partly on Brandon By as well. But you know he needs to get to that ball if he's coming out for a cross. Um, and then you know shortly before that, Rekovic had their their other best chance of the game, in which I don't think his positioning was very good, and a, and a low cross that, that kind of dribbled in front of him and made its way through um, that they were lucky no Rekovic player could get on the end of. Um, so certainly I think we're going to talk about that more. But the the goalkeeper stock is, is all over the place after this one. Um, I thought that, you know, Fagundes for all the, the controversy and drama about the, the transfer, I think his stock has, you know, gone up since then. Um, I thought he had a very productive preseason, you know, looked good taking on guys and, and scored a, a couple of great goals. Um, so he's a guy that's certainly on the rise. Um, you know, Tejan Buchanan had had plays at times where he looked good, but I don't think I think the the knock on him was that he was raw, and I think that you know knock still exists. Um, but you know, Renix of all the young guys, I thought was the one that looked most pro ready, um, and he's another guy that I think has probably worked his way into the eighteen at least to to make the bench. Um, you know, and, and Aguadelo has you know scored a couple goals. I thought he looked you know, decent in preseason, um, and he's another guy that stock has perhaps risen because uh, Juan Caicedo couldn't get his name on the score sheet in the in this preseason. So a, a lot of the guys whose whose stock has risen has kind of been because other guys that you expected more out of um, haven't necessarily shown as well as you'd hope in both you know Turner and Caicedo. Um, so there's some some worrying signs there. Um, and, you know, on, the, on that same token, I think Andrew Farrell is very much cemented as the as the right back because Brandon Bayer really didn't have a great preseason. Um, those are kind of the guys that, that stuck out to me. I don't know, if Seth, if you had you know, different guys that, that showed up and impressed you. Yeah, my thoughts are pretty similar. Um, Pania still is their best attacking weapon. I mean, that guy's a threat every time he's on the ball. Uh, you know, he goes 1v1 against someone and you you know something is positive is going to happen. Uh, he draws that PK um, Saturday. Uh, which is a really good opportunity from him. And, you know, he just he just makes things happen on that left flank. So he's always going to be a strong player. Like you said, Fagundes had some really great goals, some great moments. I uh, didn't think he looked strong yesterday playing up top. But also, um, yesterday, none of the strikers were getting that involved. A lot of the play was happening on the, the wide areas because Reykjavik was very compact. Uh, so I, I kind of wish that Agadello or Fagundes or someone up top would have been able to grab that ball. And that's where you saw Carlos Hill, especially in the second half, you know, he's playing very high like Fagundes was, but he was dropping back quite a bit in the second half to get on the ball and to make things happen. And I, I put something out on Twitter. Uh, one of his best moments ended up, uh, he gets the ball, he's facing forward, he hits a nice, you know, through ball to, to Pania, who was unfortunately offside. And that was a really great moment to me because that's what the, the Revs are missing. Like, they don't have someone to hit that killer ball in between the lines. So he obviously has the vision to do that. So really, I'd like to see him a little bit further back uh, so we can see more of the field and really pull the strings. Um, but I thought he did a nice little you know, preseason. I think he looked the part that he did enough to get Revs fan excited uh, for him being a designated player that can hopefully you know, run the offense a little bit. Um, Renix, for me, was the best of the young guns, and I definitely could see him getting some minutes this year. I thought he was best when he was out wide because he went at people. Like He liked to attack people, uh, you know, get in those 1v1 situations. He was really good at beating the first defender, not so much beating the second defender. And that's just that learning curve. Um, up top, I, I didn't see as much of him. But again, yesterday, 
those strikers weren't getting involved as much because they were using that wide play either because of their outside backs or because of you know the outside midfielders like Pania or you know you saw Jones actually do pretty well yesterday because they were using those those wide areas quite a bit. Uh, we'll talk about the goalkeeper situation I think in a little bit. Uh, as far as like stock down, uh, Haravu I thought yesterday looked looked pretty slow and behind the the play a lot of the times. He ended up having that lob that led to. Uh, Jones's opportunity that led to Casada's goal, so that was a good moment from him. But I just felt like his his tackling in the midfield, he just didn't hold it down as as well as you might have hoped to see from him. Um, and he's just a guy in general who's been around for the team for a long time. And you know, there are other uh, homegrowns that are being signed that are probably going to surpass him on the depth chart. So this was an opportunity for him to kind of put his name out there and show the amount of growth he's had. And I didn't think necessarily he did that. Uh, Delamea. Didn't look too great to me yesterday. Uh, he was behind the play. He probably could have gotten a red card because he had two different maybe yellow card infractions. One of them actually did get a yellow card. The other one didn't. And the the one that didn't get a yellow card happened early in the game. It was just kind of fouling in a, in a weird area. It just didn't make sense what he was doing um, in that moment. So he just seemed a little bit slow, a little bit behind the play. Um, you know, that's it, it, a shame because we've seen some good things from Delamea, and he's a, he's a really good uh, personality in the locker room. But I just thought he, he didn't necessarily look great yesterday. Um, but I think at this point, his, his position is probably secure. I mean, Mancian and, and Delamea started uh, pretty frequently as the two center backs in that lineup. Uh, and you have Phillips, who's the mystery trialist, probably not going to be a starter at this point. Um, Anibaba had some good moments last year. But I don't know if I see him as a, uh, a starter throughout the year. Uh, so unless they bring in somebody else, those two are probably your center backs uh, going into this year. So, yeah, I mean, we, we saw some positive things. We saw some negative things in the preseason. And uh, now it's about how can Bradfield put this team together for that opening day uh, match against FC Dallas. Yeah, and, and just to echo what you guys said again, I, I think Justin Rennick has played his way into the top 18. I think that he's probably the most exciting prospect the Revs have had in a long, long time. And I think he's really shown his stuff this preseason. He is as good as advertised. So um, I imagine they're going to put him in the 18 just to get him into uh, some, some get him some minutes at the end of games, uh, get him some experience. Cause I imagine he's going to be uh, a guy they want to develop. Um, you know, the other thing too, that Seth, you mentioned is uh, Zach Haribo, who, I mean, we're we're trying to figure out who's the best person to pair with Caicedo. Uh, is it Zahibo? Uh, is it Caldwell? Harrow's name really does not come up, and every time he he kind of feels he he never seems to inspire or, or kind of seem like he's going to be a MLS starter, which is kind of disappointing. But he's been with the team for years, and and he's just never made that next step. So um, I, I agree with both your your comments there. Uh, and then the only other thing I was going to say is I, I'm still surprised Dewan Jones is unsigned because I I thought for a uh, young kid, he's not. He probably won't be a starter. He might not even make the 18. Uh, but I thought he had some really good moments just in the highlights that I saw. Uh, he certainly contributed. I think they had played him right back a little bit, uh, just an experiment. But um, he seemed to be, be able to uh, get into some dangerous position on the wings. Uh, and the fact that he's still unsigned is a little confusing to me. I mean, they used a first-round pick on him. Uh, I, I, I can't see them not giving him the league minimum salary to uh, uh, to be with the team all year. But I, I thought he had a pretty decent preseason as well. Um, the only other thing I'd say, and, and we'll lead into this conversation too, because you guys have both hinted at it, is that uh, you know we are a pro Matt Turner podcast. 
We love Matt Turner. We are the conductors of the Turner train. But, uh, I mean, we have to acknowledge that there's a goalkeeper competition. Um, Matt Turner did not concede a goal in preseason until the Orlando game. And then he conceded seven times uh, in the last 135 minutes. Uh, just to give the goalkeeper stats uh, from preseason, uh, Brad Knighton had 270 minutes played, five goals against Turner, uh, 270 minutes played seven goals against and Cody Cropper two sixty minutes played five goals against um, Seth. We'll start with you. Um, and, and Brad Friedel pulled a, uh, uh, you know, a rabbit out of his hat last year and, and threw Matt Turner in the lap, which kind of caught us off guard. Uh, do, do you have any idea who we should expect to see in net next week against Dallas? Uh, do you think it's going to be Matt Turner or do you think he's going to surprise us again with a, a new number one goalie? Yeah, at this point, I don't think it's going to be Turner. Um, I think there's two really egregious errors that Turner made recently that will keep him out of the lineup. Uh, when you look at the Orlando situation, honestly, some of those goals I'm not going to put on uh, Turner. He, he acted like a Superman last year where he's been put on – like last year, there's a lot of situations where he's 1v1 with a player, and he'd make saves that he really shouldn't be making. You know, It was just amazing some of the saves that he made. And he was put in that situation again against Orlando City. There was a lot of times where he was – you know, a guy was just barreling down on him because uh, probably a counter situation. We didn't see the game, so we're not sure. Um, and he didn't make the saves. But in that game, at one point, uh, a, a player was able to, you know, hit it between the legs, and Turner was not able to save it. And that was a goal that was definitely savable for me. So to me, that was like the first, okay, kind of weakness that he didn't stop that goal. And the other big moment was in the Reykjavik game when that, uh, that cross happens. He kind of comes out, and, and again, Difficult situation because of the wind. Uh, we talked about it you know, online on Twitter where a lot of people were hitting crosses that were floating differently and going the wrong direction. And that was you know, obviously causing defenders and, and the goalkeepers nightmares. And he flails at it, misses it, and that ends up being a goal in the end. Uh, so those are two really big errors that you hopefully uh, don't want to see your starting keeper make. Um, I thought it was interesting in the second half when Turner went in. We saw the distribution be a little bit different. You know, Turner can absolutely you know, throw the ball. So he was, you know, trying to really get that ball into his hands and throw it quickly to try to launch a counterattack. In the first half, we didn't see that as much, and maybe because of the wind and the, the, the circumstances, but we saw uh, Knight play with his feet much more, and they played out of the back quite a bit. And I thought in general that's an interesting trend that we saw, that uh, Knight and um, Cropper, you know, they were playing on the back quite a bit, and that might be a little bit of a different situ situation for the Revs this year because we heard that they want to play a little bit more possession as opposed to the high press. So we could see a situation where the goalkeeper is trying to find the outside backs uh, or the center backs a little bit more frequently instead of going long every time. But we definitely saw Turner go a little bit longer uh, yesterday with his distribution. Um, you know, Turner's, Turner's mistakes are most recent so therefore they're sticking in our mind quite a bit but we did see cropper and we did see uh Knighton make some big mistakes as well so a lot of those had to do with playing out of the back uh so it will be interesting to see what happens i mean it would be very brad Friedel to see cody cropper start opening day and i wouldn't put it past him you know like cropper had a pretty decent uh preseason all things considered um and he's still a young player but it would just be amazing for him to be shut out for the entire entirety of the 2018 season and then thrown into the starting lineup in 2019. Uh, if you're putting, if you're asking me who I think is going to be and you have to, I have to give an answer in this uh, time period, uh, I'm going to say Brad Knighton. I think Brad Knighton was pretty solid all throughout preseason. He's that veteran presence. You're going on the road. Uh, my guess is that it's going to be Brad Knighton, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it was any of the three goalkeepers. 
And I agree with everything you said there. I, I think I'm leading Brad Knight in two. It seemed like last year when Matt Turner had some issues, Knighton came in and kind of provided a bit of a, a stable hand. Um, Matt Turner too. I, I really would. I think he is the most talented of the three. Uh, but you're right. He's made some mistakes. I don't know if his confidence is all there just yet. So I, I think they might turn to the veteran. Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on the goalkeeping com- uh, uh, competition? Yeah, I mean, I, I largely agree with Seth. I think Turner has lost the played himself out of the starting role. It's, it's, it's interesting because you go back to before the Orlando City game and Turner was the one goalkeeper that hadn't conceded the goal all preseason and it looked like he was, you know, locked in to be the, the starter on opening day. But, you know, he made some bad mistakes against Orlando City um, and, you know, probably shook his confidence a bit. And then we saw, you know, the mistakes against Rekovic as well. Um, so I think you know, those fresh in the mind of, of Brad Friel and everyone else will, will put Turner on the bench to start the season. Um, you know, his confidence doesn't seem to be there based on those two games. Um, so, you know, I, I think Knighton's probably the, the safe choice um, and it is worth, you know, putting into context where the goal, you, you mentioned the goalkeeper's stats and, you know, four of the goals that Cropper conceded were against USL teams um, compared to the goals that, you know, Turner conceded, which were against MLS teams and, and Rekovic. So perhaps a bit higher level of competition that he conceded those goals against. But but still, I think Cropper overall, um, you know, despite making a few mistakes as well, had the better preseason. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me actually at all if, if Cropper ended up being the starter on opening day. Um, you know, you look at the, the craziness last year where nobody expected Turner to be the starter and, and there he was. Uh, and, you know, when you talk about a guy like Cody Cropper, the Revolution had the opportunity to not bring him back this season. So Brad Friedel obviously sees something in, in him for, for them to have picked up his option. It's not a situation like Somi where the Revolution you know, had a guaranteed year and they had to bring him back or, or find a trading partner or you know, buy out his contract with, with uh, Cropper. They really had an opportunity to get rid of him and, and move on in the offseason, and they chose to bring him back. So um, I'm actually thinking there's a good chance it ends up being Cropper on opening day, and my, my bold prediction of the podcast will be that it is going to be Cropper uh, that gets to start in opening day. Oh, it's kinda, I love it. <laughs> jump, jumping straight to the bold prediction, Sean. Uh, I, it's not unreasonable to think that uh, Cropper gets the start. I mean, he was the starter a couple of years ago. He was brought in to be the guy to uh, replace Bobby Shuttleworth. It's kind of crazy to think that, you know, Cropper, I think, had one game last year where he made the 18. Uh, and so usually guys like that, you don't think are right in the midst of the uh, goalkeeper competition. But uh, I, I think it could be any three uh, going into Dallas. And I, I also think that whoever starts in Dallas, if we see a poor performance, I think there's a short leash there because there is three talented goalkeepers that you could make the argument should start for the revolution. Um, so uh, moving on, since we're kind of capping uh, the preseason, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts uh, on the offseason as a whole and uh, kind of give a letter grade to this offseason and the moves the revolution made. Uh, I don't really need to dive into every single move that they made. They, they did lose a couple players, uh, but they certainly brought in some new talent in uh, Edgar Castillo, Carlos Hill, and um, Juan Fernando uh, Caicedo up top. Uh, I think those are three pretty big signings for the Revolution. Um, so we'll start with Sean. Sean, if you could grade the Revolution offseason as a whole, what would you give it? Um, I think I'd probably give it a B. I think they had a you know decent draft. Um, we we're excited about the Buchanan, of course, and, and Jones that they brought in those two. Um, and of course, you know Carlos Hill is a is a nice signing for the Revolution, and I think could be their you know number ten for a few years and uh, really help invigorate the offense. Um, the verdict is out on Caicedo. 
as as Seth has pointed out on on Twitter and elsewhere that you know he hasn't scored a goal in preseason. He's he's injured now. He might be ready for opening day. He might not be ready for opening day. Uh, I think the Revolution really need him to be their goal scorer, or for you know some miracle to happen and Juan Aguadella to, to finally become the the player that everyone hoped he'd be. Um, but you know one of those strikers really has to step up this year and and be a guy that can get this team fifteen plus goals. Um, and I think the hope was Caicedo, and so far in preseason we, we you know haven't really seen that. Um, and you know they did a good job bringing in Castillo and making that trade for getting rid of Rota to bring Castillo in and play left back. Um, but I don't think they did enough to improve the defense. Uh, you know, we talked about, you know, Seth talked about De La May, and I completely agree with him that he didn't have the best preseason. I think his stock is down, despite the fact he's probably going to be the starter on opening day. Um, you know, mental mistakes have been the issue for him over the years. I think we saw that red card in opening day last year. Um, that was, you know, due to a mental mistake and, you know, a few times throughout the season. And we still saw that from him in preseason. Um, and, you know, the revolution didn't bring in competition. There's, there's Phillips who, you know, they may bring it on loan. It hasn't happened yet. I kind of expect that they will. Uh, but I don't think he's necessarily going to be competition for a starting spot. Um, so, you know, that's a concern to me is the, the defense. And I think there's no real backup. Um, you know, there's Gabriel Somi who can back up Eric Castillo, but otherwise there's a lack of a fullback backup. There's you know, Brandon Bay, who um, is probably still the first choice off the bench, either left back or right back. Um, but they, that, to me, they didn't do enough to, to bring in depth pieces there after losing Chris Tierney, you know, after getting rid of Dielna um, and, you know, Kellen Rowe, who was kind of their guy that could play everywhere. Uh, you know, all those options at left back are gone now. So it's really just Castillo and, and, and Somi. And I still don't think Somi is really in the, the pitcher to be in the 18. Um, so that's why I give it a B. It could have been better. It could have been worse. Um, you know, Seth is has talked a lot about how good it would be for the Revolution to bring in a very strong defensive midfielder to either pair with Caldwell or Caicedo. Um, I do think that's the one position, and I've you know, also talked about that before, that the Revolution could really make an impact if they were to do that before the season started, which is you know unlikely at this point, or if they could do it early on in the season. Um, that's you know one area where they could really use some help in, and I think that was an area in preseason where we, we saw some struggles, particularly when they, you know, when Friedel decided to play one guy there instead of two. Um, but, you know, good signings for the Revolution. I think they made more moves than... You know, they've made in, in, in recent years and brought in bigger names than they've done in recent years. So um, that's why you know kind of landed a B. Uh, and uh, the last point I'll make is the one I made earlier. I, I still haven't been very impressed with the, the tactics that Friedel has tried to use in this preseason. I think there's been some holes there and some mistakes made by, by Friedel there, uh, which also you know stops you from, from going any higher than a B. Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit more pessimistic. I'm going to say it's a C for me right now um, because I feel like it's, it's an average – preseason i mean uh, the the carlos heel uh signing is a big one i mean that's a big player to bring in uh, a young player that could be with his team for a number of years going forward but to me that's the type of sign that we're seeing multiple teams around the league do uh, that this is something you have to do to even keep up in mls at this point so it's a good signing but it just it, it it's a standard signing for me like that's what a lot of mls teams are doing right now um you know, it was good to bring back Casado. It was good to bring back Pania. And those were happening very early in the season. Uh, Juan Fernando Carlos. So the new Casado, to me, has not really impressed. He has not scored a goal. Um, even looking at the highlights, you don't see him very often. Obviously, he's injured right now. Uh, so that's a big player that you bring in on a big salary who might not be starting for your team. And that's a, you know, that's looking at the scouting department and saying, okay, why did you bring this player in? That's putting yourself in a similar situation as Gabriel Somi, where you bring in this player who is supposed to do great things, and it doesn't really work out that well. Still early, obviously. Uh, we always talk about how difficult it is to adjust to MLS. So definitely not time to, to you know, rule out 
and uh, say that the new Casado isn't going to be good. But I think it's concerning that he comes in and you still might see Agadello or Bunbury as that starting striker on opening day. Um, you know, the tactics to me, I, I'm not really sure about because, um, like you, you brought up, Sean, this idea of playing one defensive midfielder, especially a defensive mil- midfielder like Casado, uh, he's not gonna able to do that work. He's not able to cover that ground. That's not the type of player that he is. The type of player he is is the high-pressing type of player because he's full of energy. He can run constantly throughout the field. Um, I remember last year there was a really great art- article um, that, that came out where they asked him, like, you have a ton of energy. Where does that come from? He says, anytime I, I'm tired, I think about how great it is that I'm playing football and that I'm doing this for my family, that I'm doing this for, for everyone that supports me. And I get that energy to keep on running, you know? And you think about the goal that happened uh, yesterday against Reykjavik. He's there because he's that type of player. He's that type of player that makes that late run. And he's going to crash that back post or, or be in the box for those opportunities. That's the type of player that he is. He's not the type to just shield the back line. And that's uh, more of the role of Scotty Caldwell. So um, I think it's good that he went back to the two defensive midfielders. Interesting that he went with Caldwell and Zahibo. Um, you know, that could possibly be, be because those are the guys that are going to start opening day. Or it could be a situation where they know Haravo is going to come in later. and They want to pair him with Casado, who's a little bit more experienced. Um, you know, Haravo being, you know, a guy who has not had a lot of MLS minutes. So could be a situation where Casado doesn't start, or it could be a situation where they just kind of wanted to make a blended lineup. Um, not sure how exactly how to read into that situation. But to me, I mean, the results weren't great, but again, results don't matter much in preseason. Um, but I would have liked to see more. I would have liked to see another player that was brought in. Like you said, uh, I've mentioned before, a hard-nosed defensive midfielder that could be the elite overseas signing. Um, you know, maybe more competition in the back line to pair with someone like Mancian. Um a striker who who's going to be world class, who's got had a really great scoring record. You know, the new Casado hasn't had a great scoring record uh, throughout his career. Yeah, he scored goals, uh, but he's not that guy who who he's a piece. He doesn't bring it to the next uh, level. So that's just something to kind of think about. Castillo, I, I'm the jury is out for me for Castillo uh, because I'm not sure if you how much you need an attacking left back when you have Pania out in that situation. So with Pania, he's the type of guy that wants to be high and wide. Uh, that's where he does his best work, when he can go one-on-one with the outside uh, right back. So that doesn't leave a lot of space necessarily for the overlapping. Pania can cut in. He can like go at people in a more narrow situation. He has really good footwork and really good dribbling skills. So um, that's something that, that's, that you know would allow for the overlapping. But I saw yesterday that they kind of cramped each other's space a lot. You know, like Pania and... Castillo didn't necessarily have the best chemistry right then. And that's going to come with time. But, you know, personally, it would have been interesting for for me to see them bring in uh, an attacking right back to challenge Andrew Farrell. Because if they really want to use, you know, those outside backs to get forward and whip in crosses, you know, personally, I would have been interested to see someone on the right side because you're probably going to see Diego Fagundes play there. And we know that Diego Fagundes loves to cut in. So there's plenty of space for someone to overlap in that situation. Um, So... I think that Castillo and Pena could end up working out really well because that's a very dangerous left side. But I, I am a little nervous about the idea that uh, if you're telling Pena to cut in a little bit more frequently, um, there might not be that space for Castillo to overlap. And to go along with that, if Castillo is overlapping, who's going to be the person that covers that space in behind? If you play two defensive midfielders, it's probably going to be Scott Caldwell. He did that quite a bit uh, very well when Tierney was the left back. So he knows how to play that role. 
Uh, but if you play with one defensive midfielder, you have to make sure it's someone that can really think about positioning, really think about the spacing. And maybe that's Caldwell, but he's, he doesn't really have the size per se to do that. He definitely has the intelligence to do it. Um, Castillo's uh, probably not that guy. Zahibo, I think we all hoped would be that guy last year, but he proved that he's not that guy. Um, so I don't know if anyone on that roster can can be that lone defensive midfielder. So, yeah, some good things overall. I mean, happy to bring in Renix, happy to bring in some of these these younger players. Uh, Carlos Heel's a really good player to bring in. But to me, they didn't do enough to definitely be a playoff team. You look around, there's some, there's some teams that brought in pieces that you say, yes, this made them better, and yes, they're probably going to be more likely uh, in the playoffs. The Revs, they they probably got better, but I'm not sure if they're in the playoffs yet. And that's what lands me in that C range. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to kind of piggyback off you here. I'm going to give them a C plus uh, for the reasons you said. I think they did a lot of exciting things. I think they made some improvements uh, around the field. Uh, field Certainly, I think Edgar Castillo is the type of left back they we're trying to find all of last season. Uh, I think Carlos Hill is going to be a great addition to the attacking midfield and give them another punch on offense. Uh, and I, I think moving Fagundes to the wing too uh, also might be very good for him too. He certainly performed very well this off season. Um, but overall, there are still some things lacking. Uh, we, we, you mentioned the defensive midfield. I think that's a, a really big issue for the revolution going into the season. Uh, there's another center back spot that is very questionable and defense was their big issue last season. Did they really improve their defense? I mean, they, they got Castillo over at left back, but, um, you know, he's, he's an attacking left back. He's not a very defensive minded player. Uh, and, and as you said, uh, you, you want to see the revolution bring in an attacking right back. Um, I don't think we mentioned him in our last segment, but Brendan Bay really had a, a bit of a brutal, uh, bit of a brutal preseason. I mean, there are a lot of those goals from Orlando where you can see him out of position and not getting back. Um, and I think Brendan Bay, based on you know the the clips I've seen, Brendan Bay didn't really have the best preseason. So I know he's a bit, a bit of a prospect, but he might not be the answer long term at right back to replace Andrew Farrell. So there are some spots that uh, you know are still glaring weaknesses on the Revolution, uh, and they were the glaring weaknesses last year. So uh, I. I I'm not sure how much this team has improved. They seem like a team on the cusp of the playoffs, which is exactly where they were last year. And it's exactly where they were the year before. So I can't give them too much credit. They did do a lot right though. I don't mean to take away. I think they had a great super draft. They signed Justin Rennicks, which I think was a much needed move. Um, so yeah. And, and we'll get into uh Caicedo number two in a little bit. Cause we have an interesting question. And, and Seth, I think we're going to have some hot takes on that. Uh, but, but I, I want to get to uh, some interesting quotes Brad Friedel made uh, because he, he kind of implied that another signing was coming soon. Um, it was about 10 days ago, so it's not totally stale information. I know a lot of people are still eager for it. And I don't know if this signing is coming before the season opener. It doesn't look like it. Um, but uh, Brad Friedel talked to Tom Bogart of uh, MLS.com and he said, he's uh, looking to add another quote, Elite overseas, unquote, addition uh, for the revolution. Uh, and and Friedel also said, quote, I'm not going to tell you the position. I hope you understand, but it's going well. I have a lot of relationships over in Europe, and hopefully we'll see a player coming through the door very soon. So very vague, uh, but it's strange for Friedel to hype up something because it seems like in the past the revolution have tampered down expectations going into the season. Uh, and, and when when signing, they're doing their scouting, unless they're very, very close, they don't seem to hype up anything. Um, I'll, I'll start with you, Seth. Uh, are, are you expecting a signing anytime soon? Uh, do you have any idea if, if we are getting a signing? And Because ever since these quotes came out, everything's been relatively quiet. Uh, do you think another player's coming in soon? Yeah, I think that's interesting. A couple of things interesting about this is one, um, Friedel's been really good about following through on his promises. 
when he says that someone's coming in, someone's coming in. And it's usually actually pretty soon after he makes that comment. Um, we haven't heard anything. Uh, there's not much on Twitter, which is you know usually where things start to leak out. I mean, we knew about the new Casado. We knew about Carlos Hill. Uh, those things were all slowly leaked out. There's really not a lot of chatter right now about who this potentially could be. So those two things are kind of at odds with each other, uh, where you know Frito is pretty honest and saying, yes, I'm bringing someone in, and it's going to be someone that's that's coming in soon. Um, yet we don't really have any whispers or any rumors to go off of. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he does follow through. I don't think that this is going to happen before the season opener, because, um, again, we haven't really heard any whispers. But I do think they're going to follow through, and they're going to bring in another DP TAM-level type player. Um, where that player plays, I'm not sure. I mean, again, defensive midfielder makes the most sense to me. Um, attacking right mid midfielder might work if you want to try to bat, like increase the competition there and, you know, create a, another threat opposite of Pena. Right now, I don't think that's needed because you have Fagundes that can play there. They played Bunbury there yesterday, which I don't think he's the best fit for because uh, one thing I noticed yesterday is that Bunbury was pinching in quite a bit. If you're going to play with your right midfielder pinched in, they have to be really good in tight spaces. And to me, that's not Bunbury's strong suit. You want him wider, maybe higher, play that target uh, winger type position that he became famous for in 2014. Uh, we know Agadella can play there. And then we have all these young talent. Uh, you know, you got Renix, you got Buchanan. Um, if you bring in a right midfielder, where do these, those guys get minutes? Whether it's uh, the Fagundes or Bunbury or those young guys that – you know, sign these these contracts to, to to develop. How do you develop those types of players? Um, a center back would be great, I think, whether it's to, to take, you know, just to even create competition. You know, if you bring an elite center back and say, okay, between Delamea and uh, Mancian and this new guy, we want to figure out who's the best pairing. I think that would be really beneficial for the team. Uh, maybe the right back. I mean, Brandon Bile, like you mentioned, Greg, did not have a great uh, preseason um, it's just a, it's a hard position for him. Like it, it's, it's something that's completely new for him. He has to figure out how to, you know, be there in the right position, how to create his angles, how to also get forward. Cause he's being asked to like launch the attack. Um, and you have Andrew Farrell right now, who's touching goal go heading into the season opener. So hypothetically, we're looking at Brandon by being the starter. So maybe that's a, a position that you want to increase the competition a little bit and bring in an elite player. Um, so that, that's what I'd be looking at. I'd probably be looking at defensive midfielder, first of all, center back, second of all, and then maybe uh, a right back, third of all. And, John, what are your thoughts Do you have uh, about the Friedel signing? Are you expecting anyone coming in the door? I mean, I, I'm surprised that we haven't heard anything yet. Um, so I'm a bit hesitant to, to you know, get, get excited or think that somebody is going to be coming in at this point. Um, I mostly agree with what Seth was saying as far as what the revolution need. Um, one thing that I hadn't mentioned yet that I kind of – Glossed over um, was the fact that when you look at what happened um, in the Revolution's final preseason game and their lineup decisions, I think they played most of the guys that are you know in line to, to have a chance to be in the 18. Um, and I found it very fascinating that in the 71st minute they made wholesale changes and subbed out nearly everyone. The only guys that didn't get subbed out are, are Brandon By um, and of course Andrew Farrell was available was not available, so that's why he didn't come in or why he didn't start. And Brandon By didn't come in, in the 71st minute instead. Um, but also that they kept Edgar Castillo on um, when you know presumably Gabriel Somi was 
was available. Uh, so, you know, when I look at positions that the Revolution need, I'll go back to what I said before. The depth at fullback is, is really poor. And, you know, you talk about center back too. Right now, the depth at center back, um, you know, if, if two guys were out, Andrew Frail would have to slide in so that they, they you know, need a fullback again. Um, so both of those spots are, are, are really thin, particularly if, you know, Somi is again going to be on the outside of the 18 looking in, which, um, you know, I kind of think is probably going to be the case if, just if we're reading into the, the lineup decisions in the last game. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't bring Somi on if, the, you know, in the 71st minute when you're changing the entire lineup unless you didn't um, expect him to really be a part of the plans this year. Um, so that's, you know, an area that, that is a, a lot of concern. And of course, um, you know, if they're going to make a high impact signing, I do think it comes with that center mid defensive mid mid spot, somebody to pair next to Caicedo and Caldwell. So those guys can be more complimentary players instead of the, you know, the, the main piece there, um, you know, right wing would make some sense, but the amount of guys, the revolution have signed, uh, to play attacking positions this year, to play in the midfield, um, between the young guys, between, you know, Carlos heel between the fact that, you know, Agudelo and Bunbury are perhaps going to see more time on the right this year because of Caicedo. Um, it, it just seems like a, a log jam there and the revolution's other decisions this off season, you know, won't have made a whole lot of sense if that's the position that they're, they're going after at this point. Yeah. And I agree with everything you said. Uh, we opened this question up for our listeners to, uh, to get their, their thoughts on if another player is coming in. Uh, Joe said yes, but he doesn't expect to be an elite player to a DP level signing. He thinks it might be a depth player. Um, Alex Welsh said there's no signing prior to the season. Uh, any revs UK said yes, but he, he thinks that might be uh, a loan deal for, uh, Phillips who is the, you know, mystery trialist. Uh, and then Andrew said that he expects a signing uh, within the next week. Uh, but he thinks it might be a summer transfer. He thinks it might be someone whose contract runs out in the summer uh, and it might be, uh, kind of a mid season impact. So kind of answers all across the board. I, I think that kind of speaks to kind of the mystery around this. Uh, the fact that this was a big story for one day and it kind of died out really quick. Um, and the fact that he's not revealing the position makes me wonder if there's more behind the scenes. Um, although I'm, that could just be Brad Friedel being vague and not giving uh, the media anything. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I'm not getting uh, too overhyped. I think the roster that we see here is uh, the one going into the season. But uh, and, and just to touch up on one more thing, I'm starting to feel bad for Gabriel Somi. I think they got to just let him go because, as he said, Sean, it seems like he's not even remotely close to uh, getting into the 18. It doesn't seem like he, he's, he's still very buried uh, under that bench. Maybe – you know, coming into this offseason, uh, I thought maybe it'd be a bit of a fresh start. And we might see him a little bit, uh, uh, you know, get some starts behind um, uh, Edgar Castillo. But as you said, uh, pretty telling that he did not uh, get a few minutes in that final game yesterday. So uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes with Somi. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't just bought out his contract yet. But uh, apparently we're going into uh, the season with uh, Somi. Uh, so my, my question for you to, to kind of jump off the agenda is, you know, they have until opening day to buy out Somi's contract. And if they buy out Somi's contract before, for opening day, um, they don't get the cap hit. Uh, if they buy out somebody's contract after opening day, they do get the cap hit. Um, so, you know, unless they have some sort of free transfer or some other option signed up to get rid of them, um, you know, do you guys think there's any chance they actually do, you know, within the next week, buy out Somi? And, you know, it, it makes some sense to have waited to the last minute to do so because you could have been, you know, hoping that somebody came in with a transfer offer or, you know, hoping that he proved himself in preseason. But now that you know, it doesn't seem like he has, do you think there's any chance that in this next week we see him get bought out? I don't I don't think so in the sense that there is no other left back depth there. And I know that he's barely depth and probably what would happen is that Brandon Bai would play there over Gabriel Somi. But it just seems it's it's hard to potentially market that, I guess, that you're you're cutting this guy where you have zero depth anyway. 
Um, that said, I mean, you, you don't really want to carry that contract. Uh, I might, you know, handcuff you a little bit, you know, later on when you're trying to, you have a cap obviously in MLS, but when you're trying to make a midseason signing, uh, that could be a problem. And let's be honest, Gabriel Somi is not factoring into this team. Like he had his 12 starts last year, did not look good basically at all. Maybe a pass or two. He looked decent, but never, certainly never for a full 90 minutes. Um, so, I mean, there, there is a good situation. Maybe Gabriel Somi is willing to, to take, um, have a buyout of his contract and not be a, a very high buyout perhaps uh, so he can go on and move to another team. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard because it, it makes it hard publicity. Like, how do you how do you spin this and not bring in a replacement besides saying that he was a bad player that never factored in the plans, which could be the angle that Friedel ends up and the Reds end up taking with him. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Seth said. I, I would say that if you have Brandon By ahead of Somi on the depth chart at left back, which you did last year, you played By at left back over Somi. Um, you know, it, it's potential that they did that just to try him out and see what he could do. Um, but if you're going into 2019 and if Edgar Castillo goes down and Brandon By is, is filling in a left back instead of Gabriel Somi, um, I, I would say just let Somi go. I, I, I think it's time that you know the player moves on from the club and the club moves on from the player. I, I, if it doesn't seem like a happy marriage at all. And um, I, I think, it, as you said, Sean, if there's a financial benefit, which is a good, good thing to know, uh, if there's a financial benefit that you know you kind of open up some cap space going into the 2019 season, um, I, I think that's the only way you're going to get rid of him. You're going to be paying him that salary anyway. Uh, I, I think it might be best for both parties. But as Seth said, if there's no backup left back other than Somi, um, I, I think they're going to say, well, you know, if we're going to give him his salary anyway, we might as well uh, ride out the 2019 season and have him there as a potential option. Let's keep in mind that the Revs lost a talented left back. I believe his name was Kellen Rowe. Very talented <laughs> left back. So uh, there's some depth that was gone. Yeah, I mean, he 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 might have. I don't have this stat up in my my uh, in my queue at all. But Kellen Rowe on the Revolution. I mean, he's up there in terms of most minutes played at left back over the past two seasons. I mean, he he he's got to be up there. I don't think anyone's played. More left back over the la- the last couple seasons than Kellen Rowe. He, he that was a, certainly a a popular position for him. So mm-hmm. I, I would love it if Week One comes out and and Sporting Kansas City shoves him on the back line. Like here we go again. Well, I mean, fortunately for Kellen Rowe, uh, Sporting Kansas City has another former Revolution left back in Seth Zinovic, who they got rid of for nothing uh, back many many years ago, and is now the the starting left back on Sporting Kansas City. So I don't think Rowe has to worry about that too much, um, thanks to the Revolution's other mistakes. Um, that they've made in, in roster composition over the years that that Kansas City has benefited from. But, you know, when you talk about Colin Rowe, that just, you know, kind of gets back to my point, um, which is when you got late in the season and, you know, Brandon Bayer was hurt or, or whatever, and, you know, you didn't have Chris Tierney, and there was no real options that left back except Somi. Um, you know, Bradfield did the one thing that he kind of joked about at the beginning of the year. Um, I forget what the comment was made, but he kind of you know, dis- dismissively talked about, um, you know, Kellen Rowe playing left back. And then at the end of the season, instead of, you know, putting Somi out there, it was Kellen Rowe back there. And I think Somi didn't even make the 18 in those games either, um, you know, when they were down so much in the, in the depth chart. And, you know, even Claude Dielma got minutes over Somi at left back. So um, if if the decision, you know, going into the season, you know, if, if it turns out that Brad Friedel thinks a guy like Dewan Jones even might get more time at left back than Gabriel Somi, um, if, you know, Somi's that far out of the 18, which, you know, I actually think he might be, um, 
it would be you know a big mistake not to buy him out. And you know, Seth says it's hard to spin the PR on that, but it, I think the PR looks even worse if you end up going through the season carrying a guy that you know had four hundred twenty five thousand guaranteed last year. Uh, that's a big chunk of change in, in MLS for you know salary cap purposes um if you go through the season with that guy never making 18 um i think that's even a, a worse pr spin given you could have bought him out on opening day before opening day and you know save that cap hit but i think the pr the pr hit is like if edgar Castillo goes down and then you put brandon by over at left back and brandon by you know, I, I don't think he did terrible at left back but i think the overall point is you know if, if edgar Castillo goes down what's your plan b and brandon by isn't a great plan b and i think a lot of people would say well you know we had gabriel somi why did we cut him with no benefit when he could have filled it. I think that that's where it would come into play that, um, you know, he Gabriel Somi, even though he's not an 18, he could be a plan B type player in the event of injury. I agree, that but is- I'm saying if he's not the plan B and it is Brandon by and, and the plan C, the plan C, you know, could even be Dewan Jones if they signed him over Somi. Then at that point, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I, think, I definitely agree with Sean. And that makes a good point. Um, this is just a bad situation for everyone, really. I mean, the, the best situation would be that the Revs go out and get a left back to be the backup to uh, Castillo, and then they can obviously get rid of Somi with no issue at all, no bad publicity or anything like that. Because, you know, I'm just thinking right now, if Castillo is not ready, he gets a knock in training this week, Brandon Bai is probably a right back at this point with Farrell. Uh, we don't know officially. He's, you know, Fido did talk about how he hopes to have him there, but he's kind of touch and go. And that there was actually a situation with his face injury that he wasn't able to do a lot. So now you're also thinking about getting him up to speed as far as fitness and and making sure he's ready to play against um, on the road against an FC Dallas team that can bring a lot of energy uh, on the field. So if Castillo goes down and buys playing right back, is it you, do you put Jones out there? You know, a rookie. Do you put do you have to slide you know Alibaba and put him there? Do you put Delamea out there? I mean. This back line is very, very thin, and to to cut someone who's at least a body is just uh, you know it's just an interesting scenario to put have to put themselves in. But it goes back to how this roster was constructed, and that there are still glaring issues when it comes to this roster. Yeah, and especially along the back line. So it, it'll be interesting to see uh, how how the fullback position uh, develops over time. And who knows, maybe the elite overseas player is going to be uh, a fullback that can kind of provide depth uh, on those spots. So um, let's move on to some bold predictions, guys. Uh, Sean, you already gave one, so I'm going to hop over to Seth. Uh, Seth, uh, what is your bold prediction uh, for this upcoming 2019 season? All right, I'm going to say that Justin Rennick's uh, is going to be a Rookie of the Year candidate. I think that uh, maybe as the season goes on, uh, Renex will get more time. He's looked pretty good so far on the right wing. Uh, I'm going to make a bold prediction that this is going to be a good year for Justin Renex. Even with all that competition, he's going to make a name for himself. All right, and... Uh... Sean, what was repeat your bold prediction because I actually have so my mine was that Cropper would start opening day, and my other I guess not as surprising or bold prediction is going to be that the Revolution do end up buying out Gabriel Somi before opening day. So there's two bold predictions for you right there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with a bold prediction. I actually don't know how bold this is, but uh, because we we've talked about this before, but I, I think Diego Fagundes will not be on the New England Revolution. By the end of the season, I think he's either traded or he's sold to a European team at some point in this year. We know there's a bit of a contract issue. So uh, I think he comes out. He has a very good first half of the season. And then I think he's gone by the summer transfer window because there is so much depth there that I think Diego Fagundes is 
going to be kind of expendable, uh, and and that might open up a spot for Justin Rennix. So maybe Seth and I's bold prediction, maybe they go together. Um, but uh, we we opened this up to uh, Twitter, uh, our, our commenters on Twitter, uh, and they're kind of similar. Uh, Alex Welsh said that Fagundes will have a banner year, leads the team in goals scored. Uh, Any Revs UK said two players in the All Star game, and he also said that Renex, Buchanan, and King will all start games. Uh, Sean uh, Joe kind of agrees with you. He actually says that Cropper will get the most starts in goal uh, throughout this season. Uh, and Andrew says Anking will be a starter by midseason, which also I, I, I think could be is possible, bold, but very possible. So um, it's also kind of promising that all of all of these predictions are uh, revolve around the youth of the team and the talent that, you know, don't exactly have a clear path. But I think everyone kind of knows that the talent is there. So it's very, very exciting kind of from that perspective that by the end of this season, there might be a 19, 20, 21 year old who has a major, major impact on this team. I'm going to jump on that and I'll make another bold prediction and say that if things start going badly for the Revs, Brad Friedel is going to start playing a lot of these young homegrowns, a lot of these young players, and it's going to go the play your kids route. And that's going to be the way that he, that, that the rest of the season is advertised. So if things start going badly and the, the team goes through a rut, I think that we're going to see a lot of young players uh, played and there's going to be an advertising campaign that, uh, this was all about building towards the future and a youth revolution. Yeah, cer- certainly very, very possible. And and you'd kind of hope that if the season does go sideways, that we do see those kids because they're not going to get any minutes at the USL level. Uh, they're not going to get any minutes at college level. So uh, it, it'd be great to see them uh, get some minutes against professional competition and see them develop their skills. Um, we, we've talked a lot about to kind of moving on to the uh, offensive side of the ball. We talked about how there's a, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of guys who can contribute. So uh, we'll, we'll make another prediction here on who we think will lead the team in goals. We know that uh, Alex thinks it'll be Diego Fagundes, but Sean, uh, a lot of candidates who who might be at the top of the the score sheet by the end of the year. Uh, Who's your pick for leading the Revolution goals in 2019? I mean, if you had asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said Juan Caicedo, but I'm you know kind of down on him um, after he you know again it was preseason we only saw highlights at a lot of these games so it's hard to read too much into him but um, it's hard for me to take too much confidence away either from from what we saw from him him this preseason preseason so I, I'm gonna go with I guess the maybe the a safer choice and go with Pania who again had a really good preseason and we saw what he could do last year um, I think the revolution need a striker to really you know like I said earlier get them those 15 plus goals but I'm not sure they have it so um, I'm gonna go with the the safe bet here and say Pania yeah, Pena's a safe bet. Pena's the, the one I would go with as well. I mean, he's just the most dangerous player on the field. Like, he can create his own opportunities, um, and I don't think you can always say that for other players on this team. Um, so he's the safe bet. Just to be different from you, I'm going to go with Carlos Heel. I'm going to say that uh, he's been put, he's floating around a lot. He plays pretty high so far. Um, I think we're probably going to end up seeing a 4-2-3-1 as opposed to We've seen a, a lamps to say a four four two. And I think he'll be floating around, getting high, going at people, providing assists. Um, I'm going to give it to Carlos Hill, and I'm also going to throw out this. I hope that the Revs have a full time PK taker this year. I think that last year was ridiculous that we saw players arguing um, who was going to take a PK. Uh, even Charlie Davies on the Far Post podcast would talk about how back in the day he obviously wanted to take it because everyone wants the goals. But he knew that Lee Wynn was the guy. And Lee Wynn knew that his, was going to be his role. And he was really, really good at it. Um, so I hope that they pick someone. I hope that they pick Carlos Heel. I and mean, I think that he's a creative player that can probably put the ball in the back of the net. Probably someone who's used to that type of scenario. Um, and that will lead into that prediction of him being the, the top goal scorer that 
uh, he gets a little bit extra of a boost based on those PKs. Yeah, I saw, I saw, I think you guys had a conversation going on Twitter about that yesterday. It is kind of, I don't want to say embarrassing, but you see, uh, you know, people fighting on who gets the PK and who, who wants to take it. And you almost lose confidence going into the, the PK that there isn't that surefire guy that's going to go up there and kick it into the back of the net. Instead, there's a discussion and there's some uncertainty. And I, I don't know, I, I always lose a bit of confidence because I always feel like whoever ends up with the ball, I, I don't know, it's a, it's a very, very strange thing, but I, I'm always a little worried that that's going to lead to a missed PK. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I, and you certainly would think that a coach would assign a PK taker. I, I've, I'm never quite sure why there are arguments on the field of who gets it and who, uh, anyway, it's another. Yeah, so another I can speak on that for a minute. I actually asked uh, coach Fiero last year about that. And he said, basically he wanted the players to decide whoever was feeling it in the moment should be the person that takes it. Um, and his philosophy is that he doesn't care who takes it as long as it ends up in the back of the net. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, if that mindset changes this year and that, that he's in his second year. And we did see – it wasn't that big of a deal, but we did see – I know Bunbury and Pania and Fagundes were sometimes seen talking over the ball. And even yesterday when the PK, uh, right before it, there was conversation between Carlos Hill and uh, Pania about who would take it. And ultimately it was Pania. And let's not forget Pania was the one that was taken down for the PK. So, I mean, I'd like to see a full-time person named and just to create that consistency and and prevent any type of, you know, bickering happening on the field. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to be kind of basic for my prediction for uh, a leader in goals scored. I'm going to go with Christian Pania. Um, and, and I'm going to piggyback off of something you tweeted yesterday that you want Pania to be in as many one-on-one situations as possible. And uh, I think the acquisition of uh, Carlos Hill is going to give him some more space and is going to, and having Edgar Castillo behind him also, uh, I think he's got some better weapons. I think he's going to be in more one-on-one situations. And I think he's going to, uh, I think he's going to be the the, uh, uh, leading goal scorer on this team. I think he's going to be improved from last year. I think he's going to be a little bit more impressive. So uh, I I know that's the easy, easy pick to make, uh, but uh, I don't know. That's who I feel. That's who I'm going to go with. Um, Another kind of prediction we can make. And there's kind of been some, I don't want to say controversy, but it's kind of gone back and forth. Do you guys have any idea who the captain is going to be? Seth, any any leads on uh, who, who you expect the captain will be uh, starting next week in Dallas? Yeah, so I have no inf- inside information regarding this. Um, all signs point to Mancian. I mean, he was the one that wore the armband for the last game of 2018. He's a guy with European pedigree, which is something that um, you know Coach Friedel values. Uh, he's a guy who, who's who been a leader on the team, who uh, has done appearances um, as like the vocal, like during the, uh, the the members, the season ticket members meeting, he was the one that was on the, on the panel uh, representing the revolution from the player's perspective. Uh, so all signs point to him. The other one, and he's worn it during preseason, the other person that we've seen is Caldwell, and it really wouldn't surprise me if Caldwell ends up being the captain. There's that great local tie. Um, he's a player that fights, you know, constantly. He's a great role model in that sense. I think he's a player that a lot of people look up to. Um, so I think it's between Caldwell and Mancian. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I, I think Mancian too, as the guy that was brought in last year to kind of anchor the defense, I, I expect him to be the, I'll say full-time captain. I think Caldwell is going to be brought in and out as a rotation player. I think he certainly deserves it. Uh, but I think we will see some rotation with him and Zahibo. 
uh, throughout the year, um, and, and maybe we'll see a four-four-two, and, and Caldwell's kind of the odd man out to put a, put a second striker on. So um, I'm I'm going to go with Mancian. Also, uh, I don't know if you have a, do you agree with that uh, assessment, Sean? Yeah, I just thought it was fascinating that early on in the preseason we saw you know a game or two where Caldwell and Mancian both got the start, and it was Caldwell with the captain's armband. It seemed like towards the end of preseason. Um, for at least the games where they listed who the captain was, it was it was Mancien, so I assume it's going to be him. Um, but you know, Friedel seems to be a guy that's willing to make a change at, at captain if need be. So it wouldn't surprise me if at some point in the season it does transition back to to Caldwell. Um, but it's just just interesting that going into the preseason, it, there wasn't it wasn't clearly Mancien in Friedel's eyes because Caldwell, you know, got the captain's armband, not just in situations where Mancien wasn't on the field. Uh- with that, I think we're going to hop over to our listener segment comments, question segment of the show. Uh, you can send your, your questions on the Revolution to us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. Uh, you can also send them to us over our Facebook page, uh, Revolution Recap. Uh, we have uh, two big questions today, guys. And I, I want to start here with a question from Zach Grimes because it, it touches on uh, Caicedo 2. Uh, who we've kind of danced around throughout this podcast, and we, we've kind of made some comments. Obviously, he's been dealing with uh, an injury this preseason. We haven't seen a whole lot of him. He still has not scored a goal uh, in a Revolution jersey. But he asks, uh, is Caicedo going to be the consistent goal scorer we need, or is Teal going to end up proving everyone wrong again and somehow win the striker position? Um, Sean, let's start with you. Uh, what do you expect uh, from Juan Fernando Caicedo this season, and do you expect him to be the starting striker going forward, or do you think it'll be Teal Bunbury or maybe Juan Agudelo going forward? Yeah, I actually think it's going to be Juan Aguadelo at least to start the season. I think with the injuries Caicedo has, I don't think he's going to be ready to, to start and, and go 90 minutes at opening day. Um, and I think just reading between the lines on, on what we've seen in preseason, I think you know Aguadelo is going to get the chance to, to start up top opening day. Um, so you know that'll be interesting to watch. I, I, again, like I said earlier, I you know had some confidence that Caicedo could be the guy to maybe not get the Revolution 15 goals, but maybe get you know at least match Teal Bunbury's production last season, which I don't think Teal Bunbury himself is going to match this season. Um, you know, I, I don't think Teal Bunbury is going to shock everybody and, and be that guy. You know, before last season, he had never had a double-digit year in goals. Um, you know, he, he did good last year at the beginning of the season, then kind of fell off at the end of the year. He's a very streaky guy, and I think you know the Revolution were lucky they had him for you know a hot period for a while last year. But I don't think it's going to you know translate into this year. Um, I think Aguadelo is going to be the starter opening day i think you know there's going to be every opportunity for agudelo to to control that spot i don't think the revolution would have brought him back for you know six hundred and five thousand dollars a year um if he wasn't in that conversation um and i think the preseason you know has him out ahead uh, but again he's another guy that's been very streaky for the revolution over the years and you know if he doesn't you know if he goes two or three games to start the year and, and doesn't score then it's you know probably gonna go right back to caicedo if he's healthy um and give him a shot i don't i don't really have confidence in any of the revolution striking options right now up top and um that's troublesome that's just hope one of them gets hot and, and stays hot. Yeah, and I – oh, go ahead, Seth. Yeah, I feel pretty similar. Um, with the Casado signing, he, he was an interesting signing for me because um, he did have a recent, you know, couple seasons where he performed pretty well uh, for his club team. Um, but he was also the interesting guy because he seemed like the type that needs service. It's all about service for him. He's the fox-in-the-box type. Um and that's going to be important for someone like Castillo or someone like Pena to provide him that service because he's, he didn't seem like the type of player that's going to create those opportunities on his own. Uh, so he has not gone on the score sheet, and that's a, a concerning thing. He's now injured, so that's a concerning thing. I agree with Shaw that Agadell probably has the inside track right now. Uh, I think that he's the hold-up type of forward that you probably want. He has that little bit of creativity to kind of create an opportunity out of nothing. Um, we saw that more during his first run with the Revolution as opposed to his most recent run with the Revolution. I think if we do see uh, Teal Bunbury up top, 
it's a sign that they want his energy and they want him to press um, to try to create opportunities that way. Because otherwise, I think Agudelo hasn't be as in terms of you know finishing ability, in terms of his touch, in terms of his ability to hold up the ball. Um, but I mean, last year Bumbera did press really well and uses himself as that first defender. So it depends on the style of tactics that uh, Frito wants to employ when he goes down to FC Dallas. Yeah, and I, I'm going to kind of agree with you guys again. I don't know if Juan Fernando Caicedo, he might not even get a chance to uh, kind of crack the revolution lineup because he is injured. Uh, I mean, it's a bit of an adjustment coming to MLS in general. And uh, I think if Juan Agudelo starts off the season, I, I expect him to get the start next week too uh, from his, from a lot of the things you guys said. Uh, he's had a strong preseason. Uh, the revolution obviously are bringing him back, so they seem to have a role for him. And the other thing, too, is Fagundes is being pushed out to the wing. Uh, Justin Rennix uh, can handle that wing position, it appears like. Uh, they seem to have some depth suddenly on the wing that'll, that'll be able to let Juan Agadello go up top. So uh, if Juan Agadello comes out and scores a goal against Dallas, and he scores three goals in March, and you know if, if he has a hot start, um, I, I don't know if we're going to see Caicedo uh, get a lot of starts. He might come off the bench late in games or something like that. But um, the other thing, too, is kind of reading between the lines. Uh, he's battling an injury. Uh, he's 29 years old. He, he's joining the team on loan. Um, this might be a, I, I know you compared him to Gabriel Somi earlier uh, uh, in the podcast, uh, Seth. I, I'd compare it more to a uh, Benjamin Angua uh, type uh, uh, signing where he comes over on loan. He's a little bit older, uh, but he, he might fill a need, uh, an immediate need for the team. Uh, but if they don't have that immediate need, I, I don't know if Caicedo is going to break the lineup for the revolution. So um, I, I think we will see some rotation up top. I, I do think we will. <clears throat> sorry. Uh, I do think we will um, see him get some minutes over uh, time and he will score some goals. But um, I think immediately when he was signed, we all thought that Caicedo was going to be the um, guy at the top. We we're going to see him every single game. He's going to be that constant goal scorer. I, I don't really know. I, I don't really know. And I, I think a lot of it goes to the moves they made after signing him uh, and, and kind of filling up the attacking side of the ball, as I said. And and I, I and and Teal Bunbury didn't have a poor preseason too. I know he scored only two goals against Orlando, uh, but you know I, I think it was uh, Charlie Davies on the the uh, 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 what is that podcast? Far Post Podcast. Far Post Podcast. I almost called it the Bent Musket Podcast. <laughs> um, he said he said that uh, when, when they gave the description of what uh, Caicedo two does, uh, he says that's Teal Bunbury. So, I mean, Caicedo and Teal Bunbury, there's a bit of overlap there in terms of their skills, uh, in terms of what they bring to the team. And, and I think, it, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Teal Bunbury gets that uh, bench spot over Caicedo. It sounds crazy to say that, but I, I'm not sure if Caicedo is going to be that starting striker that we kind of expected when he was signed. Any you thoughts? know what? I, I would compare uh, Caicedo, based on the clips that I've seen of him, to, to Kai Kamara. Like, he seems like that type of player, that he's not going to really beat you on the dribble. He's going to be the guy that gets in the box and tries to finish those opportunities. Uh, so that was kind of interesting to me to see, you know, Kai Kamara not really fit with this team. Uh, and then they bring in uh, Casado, who, who to me fits a, a, a similar mold. Uh, obviously, the team's a little bit differently now, different now. They have Pania, they have uh, Castillo, who can provide service. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how well he performs under Brad Friedel. Let's do a, a quick over under uh, over under five goals for Caicedo this season. I'm going to go over. I, I th- it might just be six, but I'm going to go over. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I'm going to go over too. Five's a little low. If you were to say seven, I think that'd be a difficult question over under. Um, but I think that he, he's going to get opportunities. They signed him to a big contract. He obviously has some skill. They scouted him. Um, it's going to, it might be tough if Agudelo 
takes a hold of that position. But let's be honest, uh, Agudelo and Teal, they've had opportunities to be starters and they've lost those opportunities and they get the opportunities back. These aren't guys that have not that are consistent starters week in, week out in MLS. So I think we're going to see that position uh, go through a lot of rotation throughout the year. Yeah, I think I'm a little more bearish on you guys. But as you say, I think there's going to be a lot of rotation. They have a lot of guys who will contribute. So, I mean, he, he's certainly coming in as a big signing. Maybe he'll, he'll prove me wrong. I, it, it kind of feels weird being this uh, bearish on a guy that hasn't even really gotten the opportunity to play yet. But um, I, I just think Juan Agudelo has had a really, really solid preseason. I, I expect him to be the striker for the majority of the season. So uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but uh, moving on to another listener question we got at Dendun29. Uh, he asked us, who do you think will be the first Revs homegrown player sold? Um, obviously, there's been a lot of uh, MLS players kind of being sold to Europe. Uh, it seems like MLS is kind of developing into a bit of a selling club. Uh, I will say that I think the obvious answer here is Diego Fagundes, uh, just between his contract situation, his age, and uh, already his ties to uh, Europe. Uh, but... Uh, in the question, he kind of mentions Firmino, Renex, Isaac Anking. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of limit this to kind of the youth players. Do you guys have an idea of who will be the first uh, Revs player, homegrown player from the most recent batch uh, sold? Any ideas? Yeah. So uh, like you said, Fagundes is the obvious answer. But I think of the the recent batch, you know, just based on him being a USU 20 player, you have to look at Renex as a potential, um, you know, he showed some some skills in preseason if he can get you know regular minutes this year and perhaps you know next year as well um you know again being on the the usu 20 team frequently um would certainly put him on the radar of, of international teams so i think if we're, if we're not including fagundes um i would certainly you know jump past scott caldwell as an option i don't think i would include haravu really as as much of an option at this point um i would you know probably jump right to renix as as the next the next guy that has a, a chance of being that guy to get sold to to europe or to somewhere else yeah, I agree with that. And I might even be as bold as to say that he has a better chance of being sold than Diego Fagundes. Uh, and that's pretty bold, and it's probably going to be wrong. But I, I think about the idea that Renix does have European aspirations. He went on trial, even though he wasn't supposed to, uh, when he was an academy player. Um, he's someone that has appearances with the national team. And I think to me, perhaps most importantly, is that he doesn't have as great of ties to the revolution. I mean, uh, you know, Diego Fagundes has been here for a long time. He is the face of the team. Like that's something that the, the club obviously really values. Um, he is a he's he's a father now, so he has the ties as far as that goes. He has his family nearby. So I know there's a lot of talk about how Fagundes wants to go somewhere else, and there was even rumors that he might head to Uruguay to this this season and not actually play in MLS. Um, but I also think that like he he likes being here. There's a safety about being here, and that if he gets a good contract offer with the Revolution, because he's you know getting he's underpaid right now. He's not getting the right amount of money that he should have. Uh, if he gets a big long term contract, I could see him staying. Versus Renix, he doesn't have as many ties to this area. He has those European aspirations. If something were to come up, like in this year or next year or you know a couple of years from now. Um, keep in mind, we have that U20 World Cup that's coming up. If he performs well and, and a big bid comes in, I don't see any reason why the Revolution wouldn't consider it. I mean, that's that's the the way that the league is definitely pushing towards. Yeah, it, it's not a uh, stretch to think Justin Renex is going to be in Germany in three years. Uh, for all the reasons you said, he already has ties to Europe. He's by far the biggest prospect on the Revolution. He's going to bring back the biggest amount of money. Uh, I, I think of the new crop, I think it's Justin Renix by far. Uh, and if you open this up to maybe trades within the MLS, there are probably some other guys that you might 
toss in there. Maybe Scott Caldwell is a guy that might be on the trade block eventually or something like that. But if we're talking, you know, which homegrown player is going to be sold for a, a big amount of money, uh, Justin Rennix, I think, has the highest ceiling. And therefore, I think he's the most likely uh, to move on from the revolution. And as I say, go to Europe, go to Germany, go to wherever. Uh, so I, I agree with both of you there. Um, so let's, let's wrap this up and, uh, let's give our prediction on the, uh, where we think the Revs are going to finish the 2019 season. It has been a long time since they've been in the playoffs. Uh, they have not had a playoff win, uh, since the MLS cup run in 2014. Uh, Seth, let's start with you. Uh, let, let's get a prediction of where in the Eastern conference you think the revolution are going to finish this season. I see them out of the playoffs right now. Um, again, you don't want to look too much into preseason, but as, as Sean brought up, the tactics didn't necessarily look great. Um, some of the ideas as far as personnel didn't look great. Uh, this team could surprise us 100%, but I just don't think they did, did enough. I think they did an adequate amount to improve, to make themselves a little bit better. I think they filled the needs that a lot of people expected them to need to do. But I think in MLS, uh, when you have a, you know three seasons where you're not making the playoffs, you have to be a little bit more bold than the Revolution were. Uh, Carlos Hill looks like a good piece. Uh, maybe Casado ends up being uh, the new Casado ends up being a good piece, um, but like there was no game changer involved here. There's no one that's that's going to take this club 100% to that next level. So to be right now, they're not in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I agree with Seth. And you know the other thing I you know like to do is look at what other teams in the East have done. And I do think that there's an opportunity for the Revolution. I mean, there's one more playoff spot this year than there was last year. Um, you know, SC Cincinnati has you know, done some good things, but I, I'm not sure they've done enough to to push themselves into the playoffs. You know, Toronto, I expected to turn things around this year, but based on their offseason, I think they've, they've gotten worse this year. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sold in Chicago again. I don't think Orlando's done enough. Um, so again, that puts the Revolution right around the, the seventh or eighth spot. Um, I think the talent is on the Revolution for for them to you know finish sixth or seventh and, and sneak into one of those late playoff spots, but you know I I, I still haven't seen enough from Brad Friedel that uh, you know he knows the right tactics to put in place to, to get this team even with the additional talent over the line and, and into seventh this year. So I, I kind of think they're going to finish right where they finished last year in, in eighth place. Um, you know, barring some some change, barring you know either a big addition on, on defense or defensive midfield, or barring you know, Brad Friedel really figuring it out tactically because I don't think he has yet and again you can't read too much into preseason but from you know from what what i did see um on lineups i you know was a bit surprised about some of his tactical decisions and some of the ways he lined this team up um so you know i, I don't know if they've done enough to, to get away from the press and i think they need to so I, right now i have them at eighth i, I actually am going to sneak them into seventh place i i think they underperformed last year uh and i think they did make some strides this year too i, I don't see any of the teams below them overtaking them like you said sean um, and, and I, I don't know, I, I think last year that Galaxy game killed them. I think the first half they, they show they can be a playoff team if they perform uh, at their best ability. And I, I think they do have some uh, more depth on the offensive side of the ball. I think they're a little more uh, – they, they have some options to uh, change their formations. So um, I, I actually have them as a playoff team. And, and we asked our listeners uh, if they where they thought the Revs would finish. Uh, Alex Walsh said seventh place. Eddie Revs UK said seventh place, sneaking in at the last game of the season. Uh, Joe said a five to seven seed, uh, and then Andrew said uh, they just missed the playoffs after a slow start. Uh, and then uh, another person, Shane, said they'll make the playoffs as a low seed. Uh, he thinks that the team is a lot better than the uh, the outcomes from the preseason show, and they'll find their identity as the season goes on. Uh, so I, I think that the seven eight kind of spot, they're a fringe playoff team. 
kind of what is universally believed uh, across the board. I will say we did get one prediction uh, from uh, at Dundun29 that uh, he feels that this is a top five team, uh, possibly top four with a second designated player. So if they do add another elite overseas player, uh, maybe we see them kind of push a little further up into that playoff spot. But, uh, you know, who knows? I I think right now they're going to be on that cusp and it comes down to kind of momentum uh, if they're able to kind of keep a strong pace throughout the season. I I feel like this is the same team as we had last year, though. And if they have another backbreaker like we saw in the Galaxy game, things can go sideways fast. So, uh, Sean, anything to add? Yeah, the one thing I wanted to add here, and this was something I've talked about before, is I think the Revolution roster has gotten better from last year. But I think what's going to hurt them this year is at the beginning of last season they got off to a very good start because they you know came out of the gates and were pressing everybody and you know caught some teams off guard i don't think they're going to catch teams off guard with the press this year so you know like i said if bradfield doesn't find another way to play um you know those early season points they got last year by catching teams off guard are going to be a lot harder to come by this year because everyone's seen it now um so even if the roster has gotten a little bit better um you know they had an advantage last year that people didn't know what bradfield was going to do and didn't know what the revolution press was going to look like and they know now so that's just my my one other thought of why i have them you know in in eighth and not necessarily in seventh or sixth yeah it's uh, a lot a lot of discussion for a team that didn't seem to make a whole lot of progress in terms of uh, the eastern conference standing so uh, hopefully we're wrong hopefully this is a team that ends up uh, firmly in the playoff picture and uh, we get to talk about some really exciting soccer throughout the season but uh, guys let's wrap it up do you guys have any shout outs this week uh, nothing in particular for me i mean uh you know always check out the betmusket.com we have a new writer who joined us uh and uh, i'm hoping to make it down to practice this week to, to, to get some information about what's going on with the team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely follow along on Twitter and follow along on thebentmusket.com. Yeah, and, and guys, why don't you give your, your Twitter handles uh, to all of our listeners. Uh, make sure you guys follow both Seth and Sean. Uh, Sean, where can people follow you on Twitter? You can follow me at, at Sean L. Donahue. And the, the one thing I wanted to mention before I wrap things up, because I, I don't think we've been on the air since uh, Fernando Clavijo, the former Revolution coach, passed away. And just a you know, fantastic guy who brought in so many good players to the Revolution, even though he didn't really experience the success on the field. Um, did get the Revolution to their first ever cup final, the U.S. Open Cup, uh, back in 2001. And, and you know, played a key role. And you know, he was the guy in charge when they they brought in all those players in 2002 to that really started the revolution off into being one of the, you know, the most dominant teams in the league in the in the 2000s. So sad to, to hear that he passed away um, a couple weeks ago. Obviously, um, a you know, great guy and a big part of the revolution's uh, story over the years. So I just wanted to mention him before it wrapped up. Yeah, and, and uh, on, a, on a bit of a lighter note, I was originally going to uh, give a shout-out to us uh, for not talking about Juan Agadello as much this week, but we ended up talking about Juan Agadello just as much. Uh, we, we got called up by a listener who uh, – there was an article about Juan Agadello, and he, he tweeted us and said, we should need to do a full podcast on it. And uh, the joke being that Sean and I have kind of talked the last three or four episodes about where we think Juan Agadello is going to fit in, and we kind of scratched our head. And it's kind of come full circle, and now we're saying that we think Juan Agadello is the starting striker and is going to get uh, the majority of the minutes so i guess that shows us but uh we ended up talking about juan agadol as much as we did uh in previous episodes so i I guess it's kind of irrelevant um you guys can follow us at twitter uh, on twitter at revolution recap Uh, you can also like our revolution recap page on facebook uh you can send us your questions and comments for our listener section uh uh, uh, you can give back any feedback uh, to our podcast. Uh, you can also leave us a review uh, on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We greatly appreciate those, particularly if they are uh, five stars. Uh, but uh, overall, uh, thank you for joining me today, uh, Sean and Seth. Uh, we'll be back next week with our thoughts on uh, the season opener. So uh, until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>